0: One of the most amazing things I think about God is the way in which God speaks to us, uh, not just in big generalities, but through our specific lived experience. (laughs) The things that happen to our bodies, the things that happen to our souls. God speaks through particular lives and particular languages. And on the Pentecost day was a day that Jesus um, and the Holy Spirit and God together made really clear to us none of these languages can be lost. None of these experiences can be lost. They are all a part of me, and they are all a part of my power. Um, But the the truth of the history of Christianity is that we've often been much, much better at telling the stories of some of our nations than of others, (laughs) of lifting up um, the experiences of some of our nations than of others. And so we thought for this... uh, time, we, we try and do things like this every so often, but especially because it's Black History Month and it's February, why not? Um, <clears throat> we dedicate a little time to thinking about the experience of blackness within Christianity um, and how that has formed particular faith journeys in ways that might um, impact and form us all. And so one thing as we get started to remember is nobody on this panel is speaking for a billion people. Nobody (laughs) on this panel is speaking for a whole community. People are speaking for their experience of um, how blackness has been formed, how Christianity has been formed in their lives, of what that means and of where they're going. Um, And like all of us in our stories, there's a lot of different things going on, and we, like, are figuring it out as we go. So I appreciate everyone for participating. I would also encourage you to listen to the podcast this week because because of Snowpocalypse. Um, <laughs> several folks who were supposed to be out of town were in town, so we actually have a different lineup this worship than we did first worship. So you can hear all kinds of stories. Um, and just thankful to each of you for participating and thankful to you for listening. So let's get going. So first, um, I'd love, because not everybody has met everybody within the church, Um, if you all could share your name and then um, what you would like to share, what you think is important to know about what being black means to you and how black identity was formed for you um, in some way. So, we can.
1: Uh, Yeah, I'll start on this side. So, let me just, uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, My name is John or John Michael or JM or if you are actually a blood relative, Jamichael, which it eventually gets shortened to. Um, I have been coming here to UVC for almost two years now Um, and I guess uh, the question was uh, what black identity means to me and how it was formed. the way that I've related to my blackness or the way that I related to my blackness primarily through my life um, before college was through my family and through my church um, and for you know other reasons relating to <coughs> my faith journey, um, the separation of um, me from my church was like also like a very substantial loss of um, uh, one of those foci of, of identity uh, and so um, more recently, though, I think um, experiences of God and faith have really been um, another sort of uh, re-revelation of um, God and, and how God reveals himself to us through our ethnicities and through our um, cultural um, identities. Um, and so reconnecting with my faith, reconnecting with my family, um, and then coming to terms with uh, a lot of the nation's history of um, of race relations has sort of been the way that I've built my identity of blackness.
2: Um, hello everyone, my name's Reve, Um And how my black identity was formed was in my house, like my parents are really pro-black and made sure that um, that part of my identity was always celebrated. And I mentioned earlier in first service that I grew up in um, a county in Maryland called Prince George's County, which is like um, predominantly black and like, Really, it's um, like—not to brag, you guys—but it's. um, I think it's like the county, the only county in the country that the um, the number of black residents went up, and so did the income. So it's like our proud thing or something. Um, But it's a really cool place, and I got to grow up seeing a lot of black faces and um, uh, black professionals and things of that nature. So there were always a lot of opportunities to do black
0: things.
3: And hi all, Uh, my name is Ori, and uh, if you haven't met me. uh, And I was born and raised in uh, Bucumbara, which is the capital city of Burundi. Uh, Burundi is a tiny country in East Africa. And um, my black identity was formed in two ways, Uh, first before coming here and then after coming here. Uh, Before coming here, um, I grew up in a predominantly black uh, place, like the country itself is 99% black, um, and um, I got to learn about my culture, other African cultures, and the history, the rich history of black uh, people, not just on, on the African continent, but just across the world, um, and that we, like, I, I remember in high school, uh, we spent two years learning about this movement that, uh, like, swept through the Caribbean islands, uh, and most of West Africa, um, that was called La Negritude, which in French translates to blackness. And you basically had a bunch of authors from all these places just coming together to explore what blackness meant to them um, at the time when colonization was still around and Jim Crow and that kind of stuff. So um, it was something that was very much uh, part of my life. And then afterwards, coming to this country and then just being racialized for the first time and just understanding what it means to walk uh, and to live through uh, like my life with like a black body and just like walking, you know, through life with that.
4: Good morning. My name is Maurice Gillespie. Um, I, I think in my experience was kind of formed in, in two ways. I, I grew up in Gary, Indiana, which most people are kind of like, ooh, uh but it actually was not bad. Um, Gary was 89% black. And so it was really a very affirming thing because I grew up among black doctors and lawyers and professionals and in a school system that black history was taught every month. Uh, so there were a lot of very affirming you know, things about who you were and where you came from. Um, but then I spent about a quarter of my life in Brazil. Uh, and for those of you that don't know, Brazil has the largest black population in the world outside of Africa. Um, so it's different, but the concept and the construct of race is so different. Uh, when you say someone is black in Brazil, it's literally a descriptive adjective. It doesn't come with the cultural subtext of what it means here. So it, it's been interesting kind of figuring out what that means you know, in different places in the world.
5: Good morning. Uh, my name is Sasha. And um, this is such a loaded question (laughs) because I feel like my black identity is in formation. I am a second generation American. My parents were born in Haiti. Um, A very mixed, you know, uh, phenotype. I I won't even say ethnicity. Um, but in a sense, in my family, I and my sister, we are the first black Americans in our family. Um, so in a sense, growing up, I grew up learning to be black. I had to learn and am learning who I am as a black person in this country, in with this history, but without any of the sort of structural support that I think would have come um, had, had I grown up in a, in a family that had been black in this country for many many years. Um, my mother who my parents became citizens well before I was born but my mother likes to say you know I am more American than anyone because I chose to be American. I think in a sense I don't share that with respect to my black identity, but I do feel like I chose to be black and that was an identity that was also just thrust upon me. I I sort of have no other choice, but it's not until I became an adult that I actually sort of wear and wore that identity and continue to sort of figure out what that means for me. Um, And it has another layer now on top of it as the black mother of a black son, not quite knowing how to pass on to him things that I'm just still figuring out for myself. I think um,
0: we can already see just the broadness and the variety of the black experience, right? How hard it would be to encapsulate And I think the same is true of faith and of Christianity. And yet, for so many of us, our identity and our faith are inextricable. They influence each other at such a deep level. For you, if there is any way, how are your blackness and your Christianity connected, in tension? What's that relationship for you?
1: Yeah, that's that's the loaded question for me. I think they're inextricable, right? Like um, uh, one of the things that I used to talk a lot about in, in college when um, I was going to an evangelical school and, you know, conversations about theology and liturgy were all the rages. the way that I, I put it was, there's a certain like sort of charismatic liturgy um, that if I say certain things, right, they prompt a specific response. Um, and that those connections of cultural, while also like faith and religious experience, um, really define for me a lot of like my childhood and also define a lot of how I define uh, blackness for myself and, and blackness for those around me. Not, and, and, and I think that's sort of like a broader conversation, um, but. There is a certain sort of familiarity when you can reference those sorts of things, or when you can um, when you can identify a particular theological view, or um, like if I was at UVC and someone started speaking in tongues, like I would genuinely be a little bit like, whoa, what this is not this is different for the space. If I was home, you know, back in, in New York. And so th- that—that's like that happens. That you know, that's a thing. That's that's something that is a, a tenant of the church. And so I, that's part of the reason why I thought it was really interesting that the the Acts scripture was uh, the scriptural choice for this, because I think that um, those sorts of trappings, that that sort of charismatic liturgy, um, for me has been um, really inextricably tied to my experience of blackness. Mm.
2: Um, after speaking on the panel last service, I feel like I have some thinking to do <laughs> like everyone like everyone's response was so different and it may, it opened my mind and made me think um because I was just always like if you're black, you believe in God just because like you know like it's just like it, that's how it was because and I was saying earlier how it um, dates back to like slavery times when we didn't have anything else we had the church um and like because there's so much oppression that comes along with black identity it's like you have to put your faith in something, you know, and so it was just always like, oh, well, at least you have God, you know, um, but now hearing all these wonderful people speak, it's like, oh, I'm going to think about this some more, so I guess my answer to the question is still kind of for me. Yeah.
4: Uh,
3: and from my perspective is, um, so uh, the way Christianity was introduced to uh, Burundi is that Uh, it came through colonization. Uh, So in the late 19th century, like, a bunch of European missionaries came through uh, exploring the continent and uh, basically decided that uh, the indigenous people were backwards and that their religious practices were uh, to be banished. And so um, that was one of the many ways that, like, religion, Christianity especially, was used as a tool for erasure. Um, And um, I actually found, I just remembered a quote earlier today about from from Jomo Kenyatta, um, which I'm going to read for you. Uh, So he said, uh, Jomo Kenyatta is the first president of Kenya and he said, when the missionaries arrived, the Africans had the land and the missionaries had the Bible. They taught us how how to pray with our eyes closed when we had opened them, they had the land and we had the Bible. And so that's always been something that's been on my mind Um, in terms of, like, how I approach Christianity, but I also have found a lot of um, commonalities between, like, my faith and my black identity, Um, in terms of, um, I've found, like, great values that were taught to me as a child in both spaces, uh, where I was, we were taught to seek justice and to love our neighbors, and all these great things that Jesus was teaching uh, his disciples, and and everybody that was
4: following his teachings. Uh, I think for me, for blackness and Christianity, um, in my life, there's there's continuity and there's conflict. Um, I think the cultural aspect is so intertwined, as other people were mentioning, um, you really can't even separate where one begins and another one ends, um, but at the same time, and that's, that's a wonderful thing because it, it gives you a connection, right? Where you might not feel that you have one because it's so entwined in your culture. It almost gives you this automatic connection. Um, but at the same time, then it, there are times when you have to try to excavate culture and, and faith uh, because people mix them up and aren't sure what comes from where. Uh, so, you know, at UBC we practice very much, hey, come as you are. No one is going to look at you based on what you're wearing when you come through the door, or anything else for that matter. Um, whereas in the church that I grew up in, if you didn't look like you just fell out of the J.C. Penney's catalog, <laughs> you know, you were probably going to be looked at, you know, very strange. And that's that's not biblical. That's 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 cultural, uh, you know. The, usher, the ushers need white gloves, it's not biblical, that is, that, that's <laughs> cultural, uh, but these are things that I'm pretty sure many of us can, can identify with, but, you know, you have to be able to kind of separate those things because um, the underlying message there has to be one of, of love and unity that extends out to absolutely everyone.
5: Mm-hmm. I really like Maurice's use of the term continuity and conflict, um, because I think that's a good way of framing my own relationship of blackness and Christianity. So on a personal level, um, you know, again, put in context that I'm approaching this from sort of an anthropological view as this young person growing up to be black, to know what it is to be black, um, being raised in a mostly white Catholic uh, setting um, in a completely not inclusive not diverse not really Jesus loving <laughs> <laughs> community and and using that as sort of a springboard for then how my own faith journey took shape that for me it was very important um, that I find a place where my black identity connected with my faith. Um, And it's actually that that brought me to Quakerism. Um, I found my way to Quakers by the connection to their work as early abolitionists um, that I was so moved, profoundly moved in every way that here were people who really took God's truest message and risk their lives to speak that truth and to spread that truth. Um, I work at a Jesuit university that uh, preaches in every way, not always perfectly, um, social justice. And for me, the political and the racial and the faith uh, are so intertwined. But when I also step back and look at this historically, there's the conflict. Um, we talk about, and I love that Reve is referencing how important faith was in the context of slavery and um, survival and, and you know, suffering, um, but realizing how much the Bible itself, the Word of God, was used to justify slavery and to justify oppression it's it's really hard to extricate those that Christianity was introduced to this population more likely as a way of pacifying this group to say your reward comes in in the next life you know your suffering is justified by the word of God and you just need to and then you can you know fill in the blank hold on. Um, You know your day is coming and it's just very hard to still sit with that comfortably uh, because i think we're all still and this is what my husband was referencing on the panel you know in a way i think if we were in a maybe conservative evangelical setting uh that disconnect may not be there right that that folks would say this is exactly what God would have wanted was sort of the, the turmoil and the division that we live in right now. Um, it's just a tension that I continue to struggle with. Uh, yeah, thank you.
0: I think it's, uh, it is really interesting and makes sense that all of you are rooting this um, place of identity and connection in history, right? What are, what are the things both in the history of my life and the history of the world? Um, If anybody's on Twitter, I would recommend you follow uh, Medieval POC, who's a scholar who looks at um, people of color in medieval European Christian paintings and life. Um, One of the things I was thinking about this week was up until medieval European Christians started to basically prepare themselves to be colonists, almost every single image of Jesus was black or brown. And there's a moment in time when people start painting Jesus as white to prepare themselves to be this kind of Christian who can justify oppression and injustice and suffering. Um, And and it's helpful to me to look at the history to see how we built up the sick parts so that we can start to take them apart. (laughs) And so I wonder for you, um, since it is Black History Month, is there, and this is, we don't have to be doing all five anymore because I know some of you have answers to this and some of you don't. Um, is there a moment in Black history, either within the United States or outside of it, that you come back to, either in your spiritual life or your personal life, as a place of wondering, a place of strength, a place of, like, just something that comes back to you and interests you, um, a moment in Black history that has been relevant to your journey?
4: So for me, uh, I said it was definitely the first ele- election of Barack Obama, um, and I was not in the country when it happened. I was, I was still living in Brazil when it happened, um, but I'm kind of like, the time difference is great, so I'm like up in the middle of the night watching the election results and talking to my parents and everything, and I think what really stuck to me about that was kind of living a little bit of that through my parents' experience, who grew up through Jim Crow and who said that this would not happen in their lifetime. You know, I can remember my mother saying, you know, it'll happen one day, but it won't happen in my lifetime. So the fact that it did actually happen, it, and that is not to say, oh, you know, hey, everything's cool now. We've we've overcome all of our social issues. Quite obviously not. Um, But it does speak to the possibilities and the fact that, even for something that you've been convinced is impossible can happen and you can witness it.
1: So, I was going to say one thing, uh, but I think I can't not sort of counterpoint that or like build off of um your point Maurice with the election of uh 2016 right. or yeah, uh, I just I I think, uh, so I think that uh, in a lot of ways, um, there's an SNL sketch, right? And it's it's Dave Chappelle right after, Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock right after the election. Um, And they're watching the election with a bunch of their white friends. Um, And the friends are like, yeah, man, like we're really excited to elect the first female president um, and I think it's I think it's Chris Rock actually hosting the episode, and he says, "Ah, the night's young. Like, don't, don't uh, put all your eggs in that basket." And and so I think the prevailing thought, the 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 sketch goes on where, um, uh, Chris Rock is like, "Well, you know, we've been saying this sort of thing has been possible all along," um, but I, I think a lot about the election of Barack Obama and the re-election of Barack Obama in context of this past presidential election. And thinking about like what the, the type of person and the type of candidate that Barack Obama had to be in order to get elected, right? Like as a president, he and his family basically had to be perfect. They had to be just black enough, they had to be just white enough. Uh, they had to be um, without scandal and even when there was no scandal, right, the media and, uh, and a lot of other circles found ways to create scandal. Um, and I don't think he was a perfect president by any means. There are a lot of policy things that I think we can sort of shake our finger at and, and, and debate. Um, but but the, the, I, I really believe that the election of Trump was a, a response, a direct response to that. Um, but, but I, I, I do believe that the election of Barack Obama does serve as uh, this like, really poignant moment of, of black history, right? Um, and a realization of um, black identity, uh, at least for me, where it, a lot of times it is like, how black can you be while also being white enough for people to digest you? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, professionally, socially, um, in, in a variety of different spaces, um that yeah, that moment and 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 sort of this like extended moment from Barack to uh Donald um seems to be one that's like really, really salient in, in parsing out um both how far we've come and yet how regressive that journey can still be. Yeah,
0: thank you. Oh I don't need one. I have one, I keep forgetting. Um one of the things I want to make sure we offered you the opportunity to say, and uh, you don't have to, and if people don't have anything to say, that doesn't mean that there aren't still things we need to learn and hear, um, is one of the things that Urban Village has been trying to be, and especially in the last couple of years, is not just a multicultural church but an anti-racist church. And I think um, one of the things that we've recognized through the conversations we've had about that is that... There's being a person of color in a multi-ethnic or predominantly white space, and then there's being black in a predominantly multi-ethnic or um, predominantly white space. And is there anything you, as we, I think we're imperfect at that. I think there are lots of ways that we're messed up at that and are trying to to shift and change. It's part of what the audit and the task force are about. Is there anything you want people to know about the experience of being black at UVC? Um, Anything
5: at all? So I think this is the question that I reflected on the most (laughs) um, of all the ones that were sent to us in advance. And it's because I I want to make sure that it's expressed as an invitation and not um, a rebuke. (laughs) That, again, sort of knowing a little bit about my spiritual journey and how I found myself and then dragged my family along to these uh, communities, we have been attending... Um, this church, and found this church and stuck with this church because there 's an alignment of my values and my um, and my spirituality and my politics um, and my outlook. Um, and I, I think the thing that I would want folks to know is that my continued development as a person, as a black person is also entwined with your development as whatever it is that you identify as. Mm. And maybe even more particularly to the white folks in the audience, that you know I, I think I'm in a season in my life where I've thought so much, right? I'm 48, I'm just continuing to think about what it means to be black, what it means to be black, that I'm now also including in that and what does it mean to other folks to be white? And I think one thing that I would two things maybe, I would love to see a panel with folks who are digging really deep into what does it mean to be white. Mm -hmm. What does this whole thing even about race mean, right? The fact that I can say I'm black because I decided to be black and I learned how to be black and I just say that I'm black and you believe me, right? Because I think what you see matches what you think. The whole notion of race, racism, I'm really, struggling with what it really means. What, it's re- what it really means is just power. Um, it really, just, it's just power and oppression. It could be anything. We just happen to have chosen this particular way of classifying and, seg- and discriminating, segregating folks. So one thing I would ask is that we as a community really think on a personal level. It's one thing to come into this space every week and say that we are an inclusive community but it's really important to ask, how, how often during my week am I engaging with people who look very different from me? Who, you know, who's coming to my house? Who am I hanging out with? Who am I, who am I, who am I including in my personal circle? Uh, and that's really the challenge or the invitation that I would express to all of us, really.
2: Um, thank Tana in first service just for creating this space and I think that's a really cool thing about UVC is that we have these opportunities to share Um, but also to thank all of you for listening and being open and asking questions Um, and I invite you like um, Sasha said that um, if you do have questions like I love talking about this stuff, like feel free to ask. Um, um, And then I was thinking also about um, my sister, she moved to Jacksonville over the summer and she was looking hard for a church, you know, it's the South and she's looking for a place where she would feel comfortable and she found a church that she likes, but even like in that space, like she said, um, in one of the sermons, they were like bashing Colin Kaepernick about the Anthem and the NFL and all the players and things like that. And like realizing like, a lot of churches in the, na- like in the name of Jesus are still kind of figuring that out and have different views where a person who looks like me may not feel safe or that may not sit well with you. But here I've never had that experience, and I always feel safe and welcome and able to just be basking my true self. You know? So I really appreciate that.
4: I think to kind of continue on that, one of the things that sticks out for me at Urban Village is that there is – an intentionality about it um, a lot of churches will put on their mantra you know all are welcome and what that kind of means is yeah you can come in and sit down and nobody will bother you that's the extent of all are welcome um, but I think that we do you know things like this are, are intentional in recognizing the differences uh, of the members of this community, and trying to really try to live into that richness, so I think kind of to, to your point and to ravey 's point, uh, we have to take advantage of that and and hear other people 's stories. I think, as Hannah mentioned, uh, we have not been designated by the International black delegation to speak for all black people today, um, just we like didn't we've have been, time to get yeah. <laughs> um, you wouldn 't believe the bureaucracy involved um, and, we're, you know, as we talked about storytelling and, you know, a couple of sermons ago, we're here just telling our stories. And that's how you get to to know people and you get to know about where they came from and everything like that. So we have this opportunity to continue engaging with, with members of this community um, and, and not be afraid of that and not be worried about that and not be so worried, oh, you know, I don't want to offend anyone. You know, you'll probably step on some toes, but... I think most of us are very uh, mature enough to, to dialogue, and, and that's really how you grow. Um, there's not a lot of growth in comfort spaces.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, you guys. One thing I want to say is um, if you want to follow up on Sasha's, I think, really profound and important call to investigate your own racial identity and the formation of your racial identity, particularly if you are white, Um, One of the parts of our anti-racism grant is going to be that we have funded a training for caucus leaders to do caucusing by race um, on identity formation, on how we enter into the world uh, in whatever identity we have uh, to be a more anti-racist version and aware and reflective version of that identity. And so if you're interested in leading caucus groups or participating in caucus groups, lots of announcements are going to come out about that in the next couple of months. So take... Uh, us up on them <laughs> um and i just want to say thank you so much to each of you uh for sharing your experience for sharing uh your story and uh is there anything that people have burning on their hearts that you want to make sure people know just in case something has the holy spirit has moved i have like in honor one of the more Quakers. Thing. let's okay, do it
1: so i have one more thing um which is uh Let's not stop being reflective about like what we say versus what we do. Yeah. Like don't let just let these stories be stories um, that exist. Like really consider how they impact you. Really consider about how the fact that most every black community throughout history that has come into contact with Christianity has done so through a like as a, a means of control or exploitation and how that like makes that racial identity inextricable for a lot of black communities from their experience of faith. Um, and, and let's consider as a church, as individuals, how that should influence and how that should change how we interact with communities of color.
0: Yeah. Amen, hallelujah. Thank you, everybody.